With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, welcome to the Tap and Go. My name is Matt. My name is Freddie. Each week we bring you your rugby fix with interviews with past and present rugby professionals and we get their views on the latest sporting issues. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Tap and Go. This week, luckily, Matt's back having managed to catch a break from his American studies. And we're joined by Irish, new Irish player, he's made his debut in the last year or so, Will Connors. Will, how are you doing, buddy? Yeah, all good. Thanks for having me all, lads. Um, looking forward to chatting to you. So, yeah, no, all, all good with myself. Uh, nothing, nothing too exciting in COVID these days. So, yeah, just, just enjoying the good life. Awesome. So, obviously, it's been quite a big year for you, but what we want to do is we want to start right back at the beginning. So, Talk to us about sort of not your childhood, but how did you first get into rugby? Like, was it always a long-term plan to become professional? Um, no, it was never a long-term plan to become a professional rugby player. I think uh, from underage, I was playing down at my local club at Norkel there. And um, to be honest, funny story, I kind of got into it because in primary school, my teacher said I was uh, too soft. My parents are something that I need to get into some kind of sports. So sent me off to rugby. So I don't know, it kind of, naturally kind of started it kind of progressed naturally for me um i went to school um in clongos which is a fairly reputable rugby school over here and you know we had some good years there um and it's just to be honest you know i never dreamt i sorry i dreamt of becoming a rugby player but it never was something that i'd actually planned um i'd actually planned to do and it just kind of naturally progressed that way for me and you know a few things went my way and i was lucky enough to be honest did you did you come from a family of athletes and rugby players, or were you sort of the only one? No, my old lad. No, he um, he's big into equestrian and stuff. So when he uh, through his childhood and stuff, he was big into that. Uh, he he actually rode for Ireland uh, 
kind of in big shows over here like the RDS and he's in the Iron and stuff. So no, that that was kind of what he not that he planned for us to be horse riders, but like he had a young age or up on horses, you know, it kinda of came I'd say he nearly learned how to ride a horse quicker than I learned how to ride a bike, you know. Um but so but he's taken to rugby like a like he loves rugby now, you know. Um like you he he's at every game and obviously COVID was tough because it couldn't go to anything. But um in terms of my sisters, like they they're big again into equestrian, nothing, nothing like rugby or anything like that. It kind of um, but yeah, sporty enough family. And obviously you brought up in County Kildare and you played in sort of like the Leinster Schools rugby senior cup side, so you were sort of quite a high standard from early on. What was something about like Leinster and the academy? Was that quite a big building step process for you? Yeah, no, it was. I think uh, so it kind of works like it works differently, I suppose, in terms of you go into sub academy first and that's kinda of at your Irish under twenties age, you're in sub academy. So it gets very competitive from there, like from under twenties, like there's about I'd say there's about fifteen of us that were in from Leinster that were nearly in that under twenties kind of squad and how many eight or so of us got into the academy, you know, it's incredibly competitive and um like at sub academy that you're unsure every week as to what's going to happen are you going to are you going to get the chance to progress into the academy or not but like i was fortunate enough i did play through the under 18s under 19s and again had successful years i think it does help when you're with good players you know james ryan max egan and then even from the irish in the 20s as well like jacob stockdale porter and such you know there's when there's a good grade of players there, it does help you kind of progress on because I suppose they're you're in a good team and they kind of want to get as many of you through as possible. I mean, Leinster's academy is incredible. Like it's just well known for being one of the best in the world. Is that completely due to it's the fact that there's always a competitive sort of aspect to it amongst sort of the players, or what what makes it so good? I think we're lucky because there's you know the club system and the school system you know produces a huge amount of players um and the competitive nature in those competitions uh i think is nearly what like the work is not that the work is done for leinster by the time we get there but like you know in the school system every year there's a school for example like i was in clongos which would have been a, a good rugby school but we never like in my year we didn't win a cup but like there's just the spread of players across the schools. It's just incredibly competitive. And I think, to be honest, that's where you get a huge amount of progression. And it's the same with club systems. The clubs are, they have competitive competitions. And then by the time you get to the academy, uh, sub-academy, you know, you've done a lot of SNC, you've done a lot of skill work. Um, and so I suppose Leinster are fortunate in that way. Um, so looking forward, obviously, then you moved up from the Leinster Academy into the, like, the Leinster, you started getting involved with the senior side. Was that a very gradual transition, or was it suddenly one day you just got shoved upwards? Um, it was, well, I, you know, you're training from, from once a year in the academy, you're out training with the seniors. I think that was probably the biggest shock, you know, you're you're kind of growing up looking at these players like Johnny Sexton and stuff as, uh, you know, they're superstars and the next thing you're holding a pad getting smashed by them. So it was a bit of a bit of a reality check. But yeah, I think um, I think the progression is quite quick. Like one, I remember when I made my debut, um, I wasn't really in around the squad or anything. I was kind of training away. Nothing in particular was 
stood out to me but next thing it's like you get a tap on the shoulder yeah you're involved next week that week flies by and to be honest i didn't see it coming um and that was kind of cool you know you make your debut uh like it's something again you've always dreamt of but uh again it just happened so quickly i remember at the time like it was only a few days after where you kind of actually get to take it in um where you actually get to be like oh yeah like that was a special moment um but yeah no it was cool and was there anyone in particular when you first joined the senior side that you were sort of starstruck and mesmerized by? Um, I'm trying to think. Um, no, I remember like early on in the sessions, like not that, like again, like the likes of Johnny Sexton and stuff for the lads that kind of stood out. But I remember I'd say it was only one of my first sessions up and I was, uh, I was, holding the pad, I wasn't holding the pad, sorry, I was just training against the lads, and uh, I obviously got mistaken for another player, and Jack McGrath flew out of the line, and he absolutely smashed me, like he honestly emptied my chest, like I remember for, I'd say about six months to a year, like breathing, if I was like breathing heavily, I just, the pain of it, and I remember that was like, that was early on, and I was like, what have I got myself into, and then even in that same session, you're seeing lads just laying into each other, as in I think it must have just been a freak session because, like, I remember Ty, Ty Byrne at the time was in Leinster, and I remember him getting smacked in the face by, by someone who was shining, but I was like, Jesus. What, what, do you, what do you mean by um, he thought you were someone else? Would he have not done it if it were you? Or because no, as in um, there were scraps going on. Yeah, sorry. There were scraps going on in the session. So, yeah, just before that, there was the breakout where it was, uh, yeah, so I think Ty Byrne, got a smack in the face off, like, I think it was Shawnee, and I think someone must have caught Jack McGrath in the face or something, I'm just there kind of from a distance kind of watching, and I, I'm i not sure, I think it could have been Mick Kearney or someone like that, someone that looked kind of similar to me, and obviously I think he he must have thought it was me, so he probably thought it was a bit of a hard man, but no, he was mistaken. <laughs> Talk about scraps and training, is that quite a common thing, where the competitiveness just gets to a certain level? Yeah, like, not like I remember that was just an unusual train, not an unusual train session, but that was just one kind of out of the blue. But every now and then, big weeks, it does kind of boil over a bit. Um, but it's respectable, as in, you know, you get like big weeks, lads aren't getting selected. And like I've been in that position plenty of times where you're just frustrated, you're like, um, I don't know, you kind of give everything, and then when the big games come around and you're not getting selected, it's frustrating. And I think. I don't know, it's a little slide, not slide things, but I suppose little digs or something that kind of boil you over the edge and those, those scraps do kind of break out. But I think, to be honest, it's respectable, you know, at the end of the session there's hugs and kisses and um, no, it's uh, it's all kind of, it's all kind of blown over and just makes us better players. Yeah, completely. So then you mentioned, you talked about your length of debut there. Obviously you said it took a few days for it to sink in. How did you, did you know that you were always in line for debut when it happened, or was it a bit of a surprise when you got told, right, you're in the starting 15? No, yeah, just complete surprise, to be honest. Like, it was, uh, like, yeah, I remember just that week. I'd say, yeah, just that week kind of sprung up in me. I, I wasn't play, training them particularly well, I th- and I didn't even realise that at that stage you're not seeing who's, like, I think there could have been a few lads not available uh, through Ireland and stuff, and, to be honest, it never even dawned to me that I was probably the next choice. You don't know where you are in the pecking order. At that age, you're kind of just going through the motions. Um, and to be honest, yeah, it did just kind of spring up on me. But again, it, it, it went well enough for me and I was happy. But 
um, yeah, no, it was unexpected. One thing that's been highlighted in your game in particular is obviously your defence and your tackle rate. Is that something that you pride yourself on? Or is, there other bit, is, is it the case that you're actually trying to work on the other stuff to try and make yourself a little better well-rounded player? Yeah, look, it's, you, I, don't, I wouldn't want to be like kind of, yeah, one-trick pony, but it is good to have that asset to your game. Um, but again, like I, I have other areas in my game that I'm kind of working on. I probably haven't got to showcase as much on the pitch. Um, just through, I suppose I actually haven't got to play that much through injury and stuff. But yeah, like you know, it is a part of my game that I worked on a huge amount. Um, and to be honest, it was good to see kind of all, it was kind of the the fruit of a lot of hard work that went into kind of getting to that position. I suppose that being good at tackling and stuff, you know, through injuries, I do work a lot on it. Um, currently kind of rehabbing an injury at the moment, and again, I'm working on you know, my tackle tech constantly trying to improve it. But again, you're trying to work on other bits, your handling, your your ball handling, your carrying, and they're just other elements of the game. I just want to keep kicking on it. Do you think most players are like that, that they have their one strength? Or do you think that for some people it is they've grown up sort of trying to work on all aspects and they, are, they might not have anything which is stand out, they're just solid players all around? Yeah, you, there's yeah, I suppose you're right in that aspect. There is definitely different styles of players you have. Sorry, my my yellow keeps going off there. Sorry, yeah, there's definitely different styles of players. Um, you have guys that again are just good at not just good at one thing, but like they're known for one thing. Um, and then you have lads that are just incredibly consistent. You know, they're able to um get injured rarely you know what you're going to get from them you're going to get an 80 minute uh, 80 minute good game out of them and they're not going to cause many mistakes and stuff and you know that's a, a skill in itself being able to you know be consistent in that element so you know, yeah there is that different kind of aspect of player and i guess like when you when you look at leinster squad as a whole there's incredible amounts of players and sort of it's a star-studded forward pack and back line but when you watch leinster play it almost seems like it's everyone sticking to the game plan and everyone follows it and i guess you're just talking about people who are sort of have that ability to be able to do something because it, they not like a one-trick pony like you were saying but they can sort of bring something how how does the leinster squad make sure that it's more like a team effort as opposed to a group of very impressive individuals if that makes sense. Yeah, I yeah, like you know, like you said, uh, you need players that like are able to kind of pull those moments out of nothing and kind of throw an offload and things. And that they're just special moments that only some players have. But yeah, I think the thing is first of all, for a good team you need to buy into a culture. You know, we have a very rich culture in Leinster, very attached to the history of how the club was kind of progressed over the few like the last number of years and even through the past. And then I suppose from then you yeah, all have to kind of buy into the style of rugby that we want to play, you know, in Leinster again from tradition as being kind of an ex not expansive but like a bot like an exciting team to watch and um I think know that you have to buy into that um, and you know if you try to go off and do your own thing you're just not going to get selected because there's so many other good players that can literally step in and I suppose you have the same impact so yeah I think it's it is important to buy into whatever the team philosophy is. You mentioned earlier obviously that you're now coming for your injury and obviously for you it was sort of it was quite a harsh abrupt end to what's probably been your breakthrough season 
have you talked us through like sort of your position now like your rehab how's it all going but sort of also like what's happened how you dealt with the situation yeah like it was it was quite unfortunate it was the last uh the training session was kind of done um coming up to that england game and i was just doing a few extra bits uh just in a line out went up awkwardly uh, just the way i came down i just did my mcl but um I did my MCL rehab that, and unfortunately, just uh, I was get, still getting problems with my knee, um, and ended up just having a bit of meniscus damage. So that kind of set me back a good bit, uh, which was annoying because I suppose you kind of set out for however long, and then and all of a sudden the kind of injury gets pushed out. But it is it is frustrating that you do miss games and stuff. But I think. Um, I, I did deal with it well like, uh, again um, I have plenty of hobbies outside of rugby straight away I was, I'm currently doing an internship with a company called Kitman so I was trying to kick on with that, get bits done there I do a bit of hopeless DJing on the side um, try to do things like that and then again you're trying to brush up your knowledge on the game and brush up little parts of the game that again like your passing your skills your tackle but yeah it was a frustrating end to the season not how how i'd planned but then i suppose the season in itself i'd never actually expected for something like that to have happened to have made my debut and whatnot what's your djing style then what what's your djing style what's your sort of your music i'm on kind of uh, so i'm doing all kind of vinyl stuff so I do a bit of like house disco and stuff, kind of bang away at that, and yeah, no, it's good crack. Like it's um, still fairly useless. I've been at it, I'd say, around four or six months now, but um, I'm getting there. Do you think there's something you would want to There's obviously there's a few others who immediately spring to mind about who've gone to DJing. Is it just it's quite a fun thing, sort of like different to rugby that they go into a hobby? Obviously, James Haskell's one which springs straight to mind. Um, I'm not sure. I. I definitely think because we would have a bit of time on our hands and um, like I used to be big into PlayStation um, and I was just putting endless hours into kind of FIFA and stuff and um, so I think DJing is kind of a cooler kind of hobby to pick up like you look at someone like like you know Keen Healy like he I, I chatted to him and he's just a funny man you know he DJed when he was like the whole way through he used to do gigs to um, he used to do DJing gigs all around Dublin and stuff, and that was nearly like it was, although it was part time, he was also a very good DJ. But like mine's just, a, I kind of sit down, pass a few hours, and I think it's the same for a lot of other lads. It's just a way to get away from rugby and kind of relax for a bit. I guess coming back to rugby, I want to quickly uh, touch on your Ireland debut. What what was that like? Yeah, look, that was a yeah really special moment. Um, Again, that that is something you know you get to represent your country, and it's something incredibly special. Um, it was obviously unfortunate my parents weren't able to be there through COVID and stuff. And I'm actually at my parents. I play about nine games now. My parents still haven't got to see me in the flesh at their plane, but hopefully get back out there again. But yeah, you know it is. Um, even with no fans and um, and whatnot, you still get goosebumps kind of being out there. It, it was a weird sensation, and to be honest, it, it's not, again, it's kind of indescribable. Um, you know, you're kind of lining up before the game, kind of singing the anthems, and um, to be honest, it didn't feel real. It just felt like 
I was when I was a kid, you know, watching all the big games. You watch like Ireland v England in Crow Park and, you know, John Hayes crying and you're in that similar situation. You're kind of in that, that line of players and no, it was cool again. Um to be able to do it like Hugo Keenan would be uh, one of my best mates and to be able to do it with him as well, like our our dads and our families got on very well as well. So it was just a, that was another special moment to be able to have have my debut with him as well. Well, you can sell my debut like an event there back in Paisley. Their, their game, like they played fine, a bit scratchy. But for you, I think you got a man of match performance. You managed to nab yourself a try. I think you were top top tackle count as well. So that sort of just was that the icing on the cake. Yeah, I I definitely think it, it was like I think there's so like there's so many situations that play out in your head before the game in the week. You're like. Uh, God forbid it just I had a shocking game or you know we lose or whatever and so many I suppose negative things kind of play out in your head so for it to have gone the way it did and uh, that was incredibly special like it was just yeah the icing on the cake but um, again the, the the real thing would be you now to be able to do it again in front of fans and to have my parents in there and that's that's the real goal now from here. And what was there something that fueled that man of the match performance? Was it the nerves, or was it just sort of you wanted to do it for someone? Or um, yeah, it's like uh, I suppose there's so many, so many people you kind of want to do it for. There's a lot of motivations, and um, again, it's just being kind of a, a proud Irishman as well. And I knew that you know at the time there's so many people struggling, and I was just in such a lucky situation to be out there being able to play. You know, it is also just a thing that kind of plays out in your head. You know, it's it's one of very few few teams that you get to represent the full island of Ireland. You know, obviously, there's such a disgruntled past between north and south. And again, it was just a special thing like that. You know, it was talked about even before. Like, the, it's one of the only teams you do get to kind of, I suppose, represent a somewhat not a divided country, but where there has been troubles in the past, and those motive, those motivations play out in your head as well. Just to have, I suppose, yeah, just to be part of that. It's a really rich, rich history, and no, I was really, really loved it. Was there anything that happened? Like, was there any sort of initiation or like ceremony after the debut, which was pretty special here as well? Or any funny stories? You know, from the initiations. No, the our parents before you know they. Uh, there was obviously four of us that made our debut on the day, and um, they sent in like clips, like kind of chatting through, like saying my granny sent in a good luck video, and my mum and it was all kind of put together, and that was that was nice. Um, like yeah, there was a you know, usually because I was there the year before, I obviously didn't get capped. I was kind of in the camp, and there's a big kind of uh, there would be a big kind of initiation after, but you know that doesn't really that didn't get to go ahead with COVID, which is fair enough, but. Yeah, I'd say there's a few few drinks, I'd say, coming my way if, if, whenever we get back to it. And so, oh, yeah. Sorry, Matt, you go. There you go for it. So, obviously, the other thing is you played a little bit of sevens as well before you switched to 15s. Is that something that you potentially like to go back to, or how did that come about? Um, yeah, no, I, I don't know if I'd go back to it now, because I was fairly useless at it. Um, <laughs> I was only good at kind of getting up for the kickoffs and getting the ball back, but that, I suppose that's important in itself. Um, but yeah, that was that was some crack, you know. We 
we weren't on the World Series or anything. We were kind of traveling around, playing kind of South African second team and stuff. And we got to go to some cool places around the world, like we're in South America and stuff. And when it's, it was, was it a similar bunch of lads that were at the Olympics, and you know, they're just a great bunch of lads after the tournaments. You're having a bit of bit of crack after, but like to be honest, I was fairly useless at sevens. There was. Um, I didn't really bring too much again, like I said, I was <laughs> kick-off specialist. And I guess Ireland 7 has had that incredible sort of rise um, over the past few years. Why why has it never been able to be at that sort of competing at the top level in the World Series and so on? Um, I don't know why, like, it wasn't kind of kicked on before. I think there was... Um, I think the RFU were just invested in the Wolfhounds at the time, and then I think it diverted into the Sevens program. And I suppose there, there's a lot of work to get them up to the World Series. Like a lot of people worked to, I suppose, that, that team to that place. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why. Yeah, I think that's why it would for, but um, it, is, it is a good program, I think, for young lads coming through, especially when you're not getting that much exposure um, at senior level, I think it's a good good experience, especially now being on the World Series to play at the, play those kind of games for the year. And to finally finish off, we just want to quickly touch on the Lions fixture coming up this Saturday, which obviously we know a handful of players involved in there. What, um, what are your thoughts or sort of predictions for the up- upcoming fixture? Yeah, it's, it's hard to know, to be honest. I, I did, I, my, my predictions have been completely wrong. I, I thought the first game that South Africa were going to win, and then I was sure the Lions were going to do it last weekend. So it's really just, it, I'm not going to, I can't really give any prediction because I'll be wrong. But uh, yeah, no, I think it's going to be incredibly confrontational. Hopefully now it's a bit more expansive than it has been, I think. Um, I, I definitely the way the teams are kind of lining up a bit, it does look like they'll the Lions will try to push it, push it a bit more. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'd say. What do you think of Gatlin's team selection? Obviously, there's been quite a big discussion about the six changes. Do you think he's made good changes, or do you think that's something quite surprising and maybe potentially quite badly wrong? Ah, look. To be honest, any anyone in that squad, like even look at the players that aren't playing, like you line them out, they're going to have a huge impact. Um, I think it's there's yeah there's not really too much to be said about the the kind of selections and stuff because to be honest any any number of those players are gonna have a huge impact and um, yeah no it's it's hard. And as a player, what are, what are your thoughts on sort of the the not rivalry but the discussions being held out off the pitch between Razi Erasmus and Warren Gatland? Is it sort of as a player do you sort of get influenced by those things or? Um, to be honest, like when I like when I was even like when I'm playing, to be honest, I kind of delete Twitter. I don't have kind of the media platforms kind of coming through my phone. Obviously, I keep on Instagram and stuff, but I do try to kind of limit myself from what I'm seeing. Kind of, it's almost kind of all background noise that can you don't you just don't want to be involved in. It. You don't know what you don't want to kind of be aware of it so to be honest it's different coaches have their different strategies but most lads won't really pay much attention to it like yeah, understandable well, well thank you so much just before we finish what's next for you like obviously 
James obviously to win slightly into more ties to Leinster and make it more Irish caps. But on like a more defined note, what what are you looking for next in the future of your career? Yeah, like they'd be kind of the overall goals to kind of kick on again with Leinster and Ireland. But I suppose my main goal is to just be. It's a weird one, but like to be available um, for those games. Uh, like last season, I think I played like two games for Leinster and then one nine games for Ireland. I've just I haven't actually given myself a proper crack. So, like, I'm excited for if I don't know if I can get my body right and be available for those games and for a long period of time. Like, I suppose it's. I'm just excited to see where I can go with it. And that's kind of, yeah, the main goal, just get myself right and just be available to play. And one thing that we ask all of our guests is their, their favourite moment of their career. Would yours, your Ireland debut, or is there something else that particularly sticks out in your mind? It could be from international professional, potentially something not which involves rugby, but not involves you playing. Um, yeah, obviously the Irish debut stands out uh, as, yeah, one of my favourite moments, but... Um, again, when I was in school, um, we played, um, it was the quarterfinals, but we played St. Michael's, um, who at the time would have had, again, top end players like James Ryan, they were kind of James Ryan and Max Egan, they were fairly star-studded, um, and uh, I just remember there was 10 minutes at the end of the game, we were on our line defending, and I don't know how many phases we went through, but I remember we managed to keep them out, and that was, to be honest, when you're representing a small school like that, if, and that was kind of my world at the time, that that was a huge moment in my um, in my life, and it kind of yeah again brings back emotions, you know, playing with your best friends, and we still have those moments to share. So no, that was definitely one of the greatest moments I've had. I would say. Mm. Sounds similar to something Freddie and I only experienced a couple of years ago, but. Will, thank you very much for um, coming onto our podcast and giving up time. It was lovely to hear about sort of the pathway from Leinster all the way up to Ireland and onto the future. And it was interesting just hearing about sort of why Leinster rugby and sort of is so powerful these days. So thank you. No bother at all. Thanks for having me on, lads. I appreciate it. to the Tap and Go podcast. I'm Guy Thompson and I'm a Loose Heads ambassador. The mental health movement normalising the conversation in rugby. Head over to looseheads.co.uk and get 15% off at the checkout now with code Tap and Go. Take care. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.